This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. Volume 80, Number 5, from May of 2003. Winston S. Churchill. Written by Brother Robert Morris. A faded old high school diploma dated June 28, 1940. One can still see the signature of the high school principal, W.C. Scott. He was born shortly after the turn of the century, and his full name was Winston Churchill Scott. While still in his twenties, Winston S. Churchill had achieved enough fame that parents were naming their sons after him, forty years before he became Prime Minister of Great Britain on May 10, 1940. He was born long before the advent of the automobile and airplane in Blenheim Place in Victorian England on November 30, 1874, to a distinguished family descended from the famous Duke of Marlborough. He was, however, only half English, his mother being Jenny Jerome, an American and daughter of Leonard Jerome, editor and proprietor of the New York Times. At age 12, he was admitted to Harrow, Britain's prestigious school for boys. Upon graduation, he was admitted to Sandhurst, Britain's West Point, from which he graduated as a second lieutenant in December of 1894. The following month, he was saddened by the unexpected death of his father at age 45, whom he greatly admired. He was later to resolve to take over in Parliament, where his father had left off. His first significant assignment was as an observer to a Spanish military force sent to Cuba in 1895. On the way there, he stopped by New York City to visit his American relatives. The next two years were spent as a war correspondent in India. In 1898, he volunteered to serve with General Kitchener in the latter's attempt to reconquer the Sudan and participated in one of history's last great cavalry charges, in which he came close to losing his life. During the Boer War in South Africa, Churchill went there as a war correspondent for the London Morning Post. On November 15, 1899, he was captured by the Boers and became a prisoner of war. He soon made a daring escape and, with a price on his head, made his way back to the British lines. He was then commissioned a lieutenant in the British forces and helped in leading them to Pretoria, where he helped release his former fellow prisoners of war. He returned to England a hero in 1900. He decided to run for Parliament and was elected in 1900. He had reached the ripe old age of 25 and had already seen military action in Cuba, India, Sudan, and South Africa. Before taking his seat in Parliament, he decided on a lecture tour of America. In the United States, he was introduced to Mark Twain and later introduced to both Vice President Theodore Roosevelt and President William McKinley. The fact that Churchill's father and those three were all brother Masons must have gotten him to thinking, 
because upon returning to England, he applied for the degrees in Freemasonry. He was initiated in Studholm Lodge Number 1591, London, and raised to the third degree on March 25, 1902, in Rosemary Lodge Number 2851. Prime Minister Asquith appointed Churchill as First Lord of the Admiralty, a position similar to that of the United States Secretary of the Navy. Churchill held this appointment from 1911 to 1915. He saw to the strengthening of Britain's navy, and when World War I broke out in 1914, the fleet was ready. Churchill, however, did get the blame for one unfortunate campaign. When the British forces were defeated at Gallipoli in 1915, it resulted in his dismissal from the Admiralty. At age 41, his career seemed finished. Later analysis proved that not Churchill, but others closer to the scene were the actual culprits. All was not lost, though, because as a result of Churchill's prior planning, the British Navy was later to give the German Navy a resounding defeat at the Battle of Jutland in June of 1916. In July of 1917, he was appointed Minister of Munitions, just as the United States entered the war. His American contacts were of inestimable value in working out various logistical support arrangements between the two countries. At the end of the war, Churchill became the only Englishman to receive the prestigious United States Distinguished Service Medal. The period 1921-22 was not a good one for Churchill. In 1921, he was saddened by the death of his mother, and the following year he lost his bid for re-election to Parliament, a harbinger of things to come a generation later. Of all Britain's statesmen, Churchill was by far the most prolific of writers. Already since the turn of the century, he had been turning out volumes of historical matter, beginning with the Malacand Field Force in 1898, his escape from Boers in 1900, a biography of his father, Life of Lord Randolph Churchill in 1906, a five-volume history of World War I, The World Crisis in 1923, and later a four-volume biography of his famous ancestor, the Duke of Marlborough, in 1933. In 1924, at age 50, Churchill was again back in Parliament, this time appointed to the prestigious position of Chancellor of the Exchequer, similar to the American Secretary of the Treasury. This was the period when Mussolini had already taken over Italy, and Adolf Hitler was agitating in Germany, finally becoming Chancellor in 1932, the same year that Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected President of the United States. To Churchill, the handwriting was on the wall, and he perceived the Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, as a pacifist and appeaser. He railed against these policies, especially after Chamberlain returned to England from a conference in Munich, waving a piece of paper and announcing that he had agreed to giving a piece of Czechoslovakia to Germany. The subsequent occupation of all of Czechoslovakia and the invasion of Poland by Germany finally caused both Britain and France to declare war on Germany in September of 1939. Churchill was asked to reassume the position of First Lord of the Admiralty on September 21, 1939. No sooner had Churchill been appointed 
than his brother Mason, Franklin D. Roosevelt, wrote a congratulatory letter to him, beginning a series of personal correspondence which lasted until Roosevelt's death in April of 1945. When France fell in 1940, the Chamberlain government also fell, and Churchill was appointed prime minister at age 65. In his acceptance speech, he was candid with his countrymen in notifying them that, I have nothing to offer but blood, sweat, and tears. Among Churchill's activities during the period from May 10, 1940 to April 12, 1945, was the deep personal relationship which had begun to grow with President Roosevelt. The first two years were spent in dealing with the United States as a non-belligerent and in finding ways to tap the seemingly inexhaustible war supplies of that country without violating America's neutrality laws. In September of 1940, they successfully negotiated the trading of 50 U.S. destroyers for a 99-year lease of British military bases in the Atlantic, and also the subsequent shipping of war supplies to Britain. During a visit to Washington on December 26, 1941, he became the first British Prime Minister to be invited to address a joint session of Congress. On May 19, 1943, he again addressed that august body, one of only a few foreigners ever to receive that distinct recognition. He noted that if his parents' nationalities had been reversed, he might have gotten to Congress on his own. In 1945, Churchill was replaced by Clement Attlee as Prime Minister. Although now out of office, he was still leader of the opposition in Parliament, and the growing intransigence of Stalin gave him great concern. He was accordingly pleased to accept President Truman's invitation to speak at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri on March 5, 1946. There he gave his famous Iron Curtain speech, saying, From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. This was, in effect, the beginning of the Cold War, which was to continue long after his death. Between 1948 and 1951, Churchill took time out to produce another of his historical masterpieces, a six-volume history of the Second World War. On January 20, 1953, Churchill was again in Washington, where he visited Truman on his last day in the White House. He then entertained him at a dinner at the British Embassy. The year 1953 saw his being knighted by the Queen into the Order of the Garter, and thenceforth to be known as Sir Winston, his participation with President Eisenhower in the ill-fated Bermuda Conference, and his being awarded the prestigious Nobel Prize for Literature. Age was now beginning to take its toll, and Churchill resigned as Prime Minister in April 1955. Although he maintained his seat in Parliament, he now began to take more time with his favorite pastimes, especially writing. Between 1956 and 1958, he produced his final epic masterpiece, a four-volume History of the English-Speaking People. In his personal life, he adored his wife, Clementine, and in addition to saying that they lived happily ever after, noted that what can be more glorious than to be united in one's way through life with a being incapable of an ignoble thought? 
They were married for over 56 years. His beliefs were also truly Masonic. Ever since the end of the Boer War, he had always advocated magnanimity for a defeated foe. He was a Mason for over 62 years. When he died on December 12, 1965, at the age of 91, he had earned a respected and honored position on the world scene. No other leader in the Western world had done more to contain tyranny and despotism. To paraphrase one of his more memorable statements, Never in the history of modern statesmanship have so many been influenced for so long by one man. He truly was one of the great men of the century, and one whose attitudes, beliefs, tenacity, and accomplishments will be noted for all time. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.